Okay, okay, okay. I'm back. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've been um, not here. I've been elsewhere. I've been doing a whole bunch of radio and uh, filling in for people like Chris Plant, filling in for Rich Zioli, filling in for Mike Broomhead. It's been uh, quite an adventure the last couple of weeks, and I will try and be here more regularly, although the fill-in work takes a lot of time, as you can imagine, especially in times like these. Hope you had a great Independence Day weekend. I had a very quiet one. We were just hiding out, staying away from most everybody, and it was a blast. It was exactly what I needed, uh, unlike what happened in the little village of Highland Park outside of Chicago, a place I know well. I was born in Chicago, and then uh, we spent our wonder years on the near north side And Highland Park was a place I visited many times, a place I actually worked in a grocery store called Dominic's in Highland Park for a brief time. And I have friends in Highland Park, so my heart breaks for the people of Highland Park and the families who lost loved ones and the families who are now trying to put their lives back together after 30 plus people were hit and injured by a madman, a madman who should have been red flagged years ago. Here's a guy who in 2019 threatened to kill everyone in his family and police were called and they came and took a whole bunch of knives from him. What was it? 17 knives and swords. And there was no arrest. So when it came time for this 22 year old Jack wagon, whose name will never come out of my mouth to um, buy a gun or two, there was no report about him threatening his family. Why? I want to know why. Illinois, Chicago, some of the toughest gun laws in the country, but you couldn't find a way to address this situation. Domestic violence, isn't that at the very tippy top of some of the complaints of these people? I would think so. Maybe. No. No, that's a total failure. Total failure on the people in charge. This guy should have been red flagged. He threatened his family. There were knives and swords, a whole bunch of them. So um, a a bad, bad situation in Chicago. And the Democrats are going to try and use it, of course, to take away anyone else's guns, anyone who's legally owning a gun and wanting to take care of themselves. Uh, The idea here is to maximize the, the tragedy for their agenda. And uh, I just I just think it's um, it's been exposed now. Their agenda's been exposed. For example, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Lightfoot has been out there cursing at people like Donald Trump, saying F Donald Trump. She was also um, after the Roe v. Wade decision was out saying F Clarence Thomas in public, screaming about Clarence Thomas and cursing him. And then yesterday, after this tragedy is unfolding, the mayor is worried about civility. She's, she's out there grousing about civility. People are losing respect for the institutions of our democracy. The toxicity in our public discourse is a thing that I think we should all be concerned about. Yeah, the toxicity from the lady who is the mayor of Chicago. Who's screaming F Donald Trump? Who's screaming F Clarence Thomas? Look in the mirror, lady. Look in the damn mirror. There are a lot of things that bother me today that we'll have to talk about, and we're probably going to get a hold of Jim uh, Stovall here for a little winner's wisdom. We need some winner's wisdom today. 
a lot of things that are bothering me happening out of this administration. When we were told a few months ago that the high gas prices, which this administration has tried to blame, tried in vain to blame on uh, Putin's war, when the responsibility comes from themselves, they shut off the Keystone XL pipeline. They made it tougher for oil companies to drill. Uh, we haven't had a new refinery in this country in I don't know how many decades, but it's been embarrassing for, uh, for this administration to try and blame everybody but their own actions. So Joe Biden a few months ago said we're going to release a million barrels a day from our strategic petroleum reserve. A million barrels a day for six months, going to going to put out 180 million barrels. That's what uh, he said was going to help. It won't be an immediate drop in the price of oil. And it really hasn't. Yeah, price of oil's down a little bit. The peak was 502, I think was the national average. It's down to about 480 right now. So you got about 20 cents off of the two plus dollars that have been attached to your gas prices since Joe Biden really started taking over. It's embarrassing, as I said. But the Strategic Petroleum Reserve now, we're finding out, thanks to a report from Reuters, that uh, millions of barrels are being sold to China. China's getting their hands on the Strategic Petroleum Reserves. I thought China was buying all the oil from uh, Russia. I thought that's what was happening. China's been propping up the Russian war effort by buying oil. And now we're the suckers who are also selling some of our own strategic petroleum reserves to China? Give me a freaking break. It truly is the cacistocracy, a government by the worst possible individuals. You have an energy secretary who doesn't understand energy. You have a transportation secretary who's just a confused young man who abdicated his responsibilities last summer because he and his husband adopted twins, so he took paternity leave. Uh, It's just shameful what this administration is doing. But the fact that we are selling strategic petroleum reserves, it's now at its lowest point since 1986, I think. And we're not exactly rushing to fill them up. That's embarrassing, especially when you understand we're selling it to China. Some of it's going to Europe, some of our friends in Europe. We're trying to get them off the dependence on Russian oil. But uh, it's really troubling what has happened here. Really troubling. And at every turn, the blame is somewhere else. At every turn, this administration tries to say, well, it's Russia, Russia, Russia. Joe said that last weekend. Kamala was uh, being interviewed the other day, and she was asked about the rising cost of gas and uh, basically said nothing. Is there anything else you can do to help bring down the cost of gas? Yeah, well, first of all, let's just say that this is, this is a very real issue, and um, we have to do something about it, and it's one of our highest priorities as an administration. It's one of our highest priorities as an administration. One of our highest priorities that we are doing nothing about. Absolutely nothing about. What an embarrassment. What a flat-out embarrassment. And and then, don't even get me started, the press secretary, Corinne Jean-Pierre, the one I call KGB, 
Corinne Jean-Pierre was uh, confronted yesterday at the White House about um, the the voicemail that Joe Biden left for Hunter that turned up on Hunter's laptop, which has been verified, which the, the even the left is accepting the reality of Hunter Biden's laptop. Even the left has admitted, yeah, oh yeah, that's, uh, that's uh, real. And we screwed up on that. But the White House is not accepting it. The White House press office is blocking it. I just want to play the, the game, the whataboutism game. The whataboutism game that says if this were Donald Trump and if this were Kaylee McEnany, there would be an hour and a half of coverage every single night about the voicemail. And, and well, here's a little bit from uh, KGB yesterday when Peter Ducey confronted her about that voicemail. We have all heard it. The president likes to say, uh, I will always level with you. He says it again and again. Wait a minute. That's not Peter Ducey. That's another member of the press. That's another member of the press jumping in to back up Peter Ducey because, in fact, Corinne Jean-Pierre, KGB to the cool kids, had said that uh, she said to Peter Ducey, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going to answer any questions about the laptop. We're not going to talk about anything on the laptop. And when Peter Ducey uh, pressed, she said, I refer you. I refer you to Hunter Biden's people, to his attorney. So another member of the media, I correct myself, another member of the media stepped in and said, well, we, we've actually heard the, the tape and I'm, I'm supporting my cohort here in the press pool. We have all heard it. The president likes to say, uh, I will always level with you. He says it again and again. Um, moments ago, though, you seem to dismiss Peter's question about his conversation with his son, Hunter Biden. Uh, with regards to his business dealings. And I'm wondering, how is that silence consistent with the president's promise to always level with the American public? Because, you know, in in public, he says he he hasn't discussed these business dealings. And then at least according to the the voicemail that's been obtained by the Daily Mail and the Washington Examiner, it certainly seems like he was seeking to do exactly that, have a conversation about these business dealings. Is is he leveling with the the American public on this? Great question. Surprised it was allowed to go that long. But it's a terrific question. Is he leveling with us? And then she puts up the block. I hear your question. No, but what you I can tell you from here, standing at this podium, is that I cannot comment on any materials from the laptop. Why? Why can you not? Why can you not? It, it speaks to a statement made by the president. Why can you not address it? And I would refer you to the representatives of, uh, of Hunter Biden. That's what- I would refer you to the representatives. No, you represent the president. You are there as the voice of the president whose voice was on a voicemail talking about his son with his son and his business. Oddly enough, we just talked about selling oil to China. Hunter was dealing with China. He was dealing with a now defunct Chinese energy company. Hmm. Funny how that works out. Funny how that comes all the way back around, isn't it? It's just so amazing to me. I do not understand why this woman is still in her job. You can't fire a black person in Washington, D.C., I'm pretty sure. And she is as incompetent as they come and should be fired for lack of ability to do her job.
but because she is a black female lesbian, she has triple immunity and can't be fired. Even when she says stuff like, do you believe we're in a recession? And she goes, no, no, we're not. Even when 42% of the American people are having trouble paying their bills, they don't believe we're in a recession. They don't believe there's anything wrong with the economy. It, it is so frightening. Uh, the Dems are talking about uh, historic economic progress. Joe and his cohorts talking about just how great everything is. Since I took office, families are carrying less debt. Really? Their average savings are up. I don't think a recession is at all, at all inevitable. This economy is actually in, in pretty strong shape. Uh, we also have made historic economic progress. Yeah, in draining people's bank accounts, contrary to everything everyone else is saying. 42% of Americans today are having trouble paying their regular daily costs. And that's double what it was a year ago. Double. And this administration can't do anything about it. Because in order to curb inflation, you have to keep raising the borrowing rates, which will cause the cost of everything to go higher. It'll make the cost of housing, automobiles, food, paying down our own debt. It will all go up because that's how the economy works. But this, this administration, this president, don't have any real understanding of how the economy works. Why? Because Joe really hasn't been in the economy. He has been a government-privileged employee for the last five decades. Hasn't had a job, really. He's been a senator, a vice president, and now a president, or a presidential puppet, as I like to call him. It truly is one of the more frightening situations. And the fact that he's allowed to lie about his son's business dealings with China and, and not have any questions about it really addressed by the press secretary is stunning. There's an actual tape out there, which is almost three minutes of Joe Biden denying that he knows anything about Hunter's dealings. Almost three minutes of this. His son, Hunter, joining the then vice president on the official visit to Beijing. 2013. The press back then, Hunter Biden was forming a Chinese private equity fund. Yeah. Planning to raise money, including from Chinese investors. Ten days after the Biden's trip, Shanghai authorities issued the fund's business license. Then Vice President Joe Biden at dinner with his son Hunter, along with Hunter's business associates from Ukraine, Russia, and Kazakhstan. And the day after the dinner, a Burisma executive sent a note to Hunter, quoting, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. Now, that, that happened in 2015. When Joe was vice president, 2013, he flew to China, then got a business license, 2015. He and his dad have dinner with a Ukrainian in Kazakhstan. Business plans are drawn up. It's, it's a criminal enterprise that's being allowed to be completely covered up. Lucrative business dealings often included giving as much as 50% of his earnings to his dad. The text read, quote, I hope you all can do what I did and pay for everything for this entire family for 30 years. It's really hard, but don't worry. Unlike Pop, I won't make you give me half your salary. Yeah, it's a crime enterprise. And Hunter was at the White House on the 4th of July. 
in the White House. He's currently under investigation in Delaware for money laundering. And the, uh, the case will probably get cleared up sometime after Joe leaves office. Just making a, a cynical prediction. And uh, Hunter introduced me as, uh, this is Tony, Dad, uh, the individual I told you about. That's Tony Bubulinski. Remember him? Talked about 10% for the big guy. I wonder where they've got him hidden. I wonder what threats he's under. That's helping us with the business that we're working on and the Chinese. The email reads this way, quote, at the moment, there's a provisional agreement that the equity will be distributed as follows. 10 held by Hunter for the big guy. 10% of all the dealings for the big guy. And uh, uh, the, um, the Uncle Jim, Hunter's Uncle Jim, Joe's brother, also gets 10%. It's a little bit scary that none of this, which has now been confirmed, is actually holding up in public it's being denied it's being covered up a thousand percent sit here and know that the big guy is referencing joe biden i met with the former vice president in person multiple times a newly revealed text message shows bobolinsky was apparently warned by business partner james gillier don't mention joe being involved it's only when you are face to face i know you know that but they are paranoid no no they're not paranoid Right now, they're, they're just telling us, no, we're not going to even talk about it. They used to be paranoid. Now they feel empowered. Now they feel like they're completely in control, so they only have to do whatever the hell they want and answer whatever questions they want. This is what the January 6th committee should be covering. This is what they should be delving into and finding out just how deep the Biden family roots are are inside Russia, inside Ukraine, inside China, all of it. We know there is money transferred from China, transferred from Russia, transferred from Ukraine, all to Hunter, and then Hunter and his companies were the distribution point. It's a criminal enterprise. Chinese executives admitted to reporters that they were actually introduced to the vice president by Hunter Biden. Hunter and the then vice president seen with a pair of Mexican billionaires. At the same time, Hunter had been working on energy deals in Mexico. Joe Biden also had Hunter and his business partner fly on Air Force Two to Mexico. Oh, I forgot. We have to add Mexico to this now, too. So it's not just Russia and China and Ukraine. It's Mexico. There was money coming in to the Biden crime family from all over. We have to get this investigated. We truly must. It, it is the crime of the century, maybe the crime of several centuries. And the only way we're going to get it done is if we take back the House and the Senate, which is it's got the Democrats panicking right now. It's got them absolutely panicking. And they're trying to um, uh, spread some rumors out there now, spreading uh, a lot of speculation about the, the fall election season. And that maybe, just maybe, that there'll be a COVID surge. And if there's a COVID surge coming up this fall, you know what's going to happen. We're going to have unlimited mail-in ballots once again, right? I can tell you with more variants, specifically sub-variants of Omicron circulating, more of us are vulnerable for reinfection. We are looking at the fall and winter. We're preparing for a variety of scenarios, I think. Uh, potentially a difficult one if we get a resurgence of the infection. Hmm. 
a potentially difficult one if we get a resurgence in the infection. Well, uh, let's look at the daily stats because therein lies the truth about things. If you look at the daily statistics about COVID infections, and they're posted online, you can see them pretty much everywhere. We are averaging 101,047 cases of COVID every day right now. 141,000 cases every day compared to last year when we averaged only 18,000. Now, that's about six or seven times increase in the number of cases. But what about deaths? Last year, with 18,000 cases a day, we had almost 200 deaths per day. This year, we are averaging 312 deaths per day. So it's uh, about 50% increase in uh, the numbers of deaths. However, it's almost eight times the number of cases. So COVID is everywhere, but it's hardly dangerous. It's not really deadly. That's amazing. But the Democrats are going to use this. They're going to try and use this to push for uh, midterm COVID fear. And fear is everywhere. If you notice, it's not just the, uh, the COVID fear. They're pushing the climate fear again. They're really pushing the climate fear And the mainstream media is helping. Climate is a code red now. We have to take action. We have so little time. We need to be sort of throw everything at it that we can. Yeah, everything. Throw everything at it. Yeah, we can't. uh, We can't throw everything at it because it's a ghost. The climate fear is an absolute joke. Uh, By the way, uh, it was not reported much yesterday The uh, day after July 4th, July 5th, it was reported that the Iranian deal, the Iranian deal, you know, to um, let let Iran keep headed towards a nuclear weapon, which they're pretty much doing anyway, fell apart. So uh, good job, everybody who's negotiating there. I'm glad we don't have a deal. I'm glad Donald Trump took us out of that. We should not be in bed with the Iranians on anything. They wake up every day and say death to America. And then they say death to Israel. And they'd like to accomplish both by having nuclear weapons. Just amazing. Amazing the failures of this administration that don't get addressed. It's amazing how many things they have managed to screw up in just 16 months, 17 months. They've managed to pretty much take the entire country and set it on its side, drive it into a ditch. It's phenomenal how big and how bad they're able to make things happen. So that's why it's important for us to get to uh, power, to get back into power, to have the House and the Senate. And once we get the House and the Senate, what we have to do is push the pause button. So you can't really change the the total path that the country's on, even though 88% of the people think we're going the wrong direction. You can't really change the total path that quickly until you get the White House. But if you have the House and the Senate, you can stop it. You can pause it. And I'm hoping that's going to happen. I really am. A couple other things I want to mention today. A couple other things I'm keeping my eye on. Uh, By the way, uh, Tesla, no longer the world's best-selling electric car. A Chinese company has suddenly leapfrogged past Tesla. 
Yeah, I'm sure they got a little help from copying all the Tesla plans because Elon Musk was over there doing business with China. The electric cars are just a disaster anyway. They're not good for the planet. They're not good for you and me and for anything. Now, should we have cleaner energy? Yeah, but you don't just automatically stop one to do the other. And I got a report from Lauren Fix, the car coach, who we may hear from in a day, uh, that there are now police cars that are using electric cars, and they're running out of battery power before they can get to emergencies. Police cars. Who thought it'd be a good idea to have battery-powered police cars? Seriously, people. <laughs> That's just stupid. Absolutely stupid. The other story that has my eye, and I find this fascinating, uh, Dave Chappelle, who's a very wealthy man because he's very successful at entertaining people with his comedy and he doesn't care about the politics. Dave Chappelle has a giant mansion in Ohio and a huge chunk of property. And apparently he heard that somebody was going to build a massive housing project, probably condos, regular condos, very close to his place, 54 acres. So he bought it, bought all of it. And uh, the town is saying, yay, thanks for saving the town from this giant housing project. And it, it wasn't like public housing. It was just housing. Someone was building apartments or condos. And Dave Chappelle didn't want all those people living that close to him. The mayor of the town ain't happy because they need more housing to get the cost of housing down. So the people who think Dave Chappelle saved the town are cheering, but the people who want more access to housing aren't happy. It's an interesting story. We'll watch this one to see how it turns out. Uh, get ready for Macy Gray. Remember that singer with the raspy voice? I say goodbye and I choke. I try to walk away. Yeah, Macy Gray was on with uh, with Piers Morgan on his TV show. I think it was Piers Morgan. And um, she actually defined a woman by the uh, typical biological definition. And she's going to get canceled now. She'll be, uh, she'll be hit by protests from the left, which I think is just so funny, especially on the heels of Bette Midler, saying that women are getting erased by uh, people calling women birthing persons or menstruators or people with a vagina. She's real mad about that. So I actually agree with Bette Midler on something, but at the same time, it's fun to watch the left attack her and go after her. Just fabulous. Uh, keeping an eye also on the story out of Arizona, where Arizona has decided that they like the idea, they actually like the idea of using an ID when you vote, that you have to prove you're a citizen because citizens have the right to vote. Well, of course, that, that won't sit with the Obama, or the Obama, the Biden administration. The Biden administration's DOJ is now suing Arizona because they're requiring proof that someone's a citizen to vote. What a ridiculous Ridiculous waste of time. Good job, Joey. Good job earning the cacistocracy. And there's one more story out there. It appears that we are going to have a um, another hearing, another January 6th hearing. And the January 6th hearing is going to be on the 12th of July, so next week. And um, 
I, I'm told we're going to have more surprise testimony, more shocking new evidence has been brought forward. And uh, no doubt that Adam Schiff and and what's her noodle, Liz Cheney, are going to be breathlessly interviewing people who are going to tell more crazy stories like we heard from that Hutchinson girl, Cassidy Hutchinson, whose story was debunked in, in all of 36 hours. Uh, the other story that relates to the January 6th story is the interview that Benny Johnson did with Cash Patel. Benny Johnson, who I worked with at The Blaze when I was there, has a show on Newsmax, and he sat down with Cash Patel. Cash Patel was um, the chief of staff at the Department of Defense under Donald Trump at the very end. He was an acting chief of staff. He hadn't gone through the congressional approval. But um, Cash Patel told Benny Johnson a story about Donald Trump's actions after the election and what Donald Trump did to guarantee the transition of power. And this explanation, which is easily proven because there are records, should be enough to shut down this hearing altogether. If there was reasonable oversight of this committee, they would shut it down immediately. Here's a little bit of Benny and Cash. Cash Patel is not a sellout. Rick Cornell is not a sellout. And these guys actually walk the walk and they know things. They know how it operated. They know how the system maintains itself and they know the protocols. And you talked about a protocol recently that had me floored. I yeah, me too. And, and Benny's talking to Cash about the the necessary paperwork to transition from one president to another. And it requires giving approval to different government agencies, like the Department of Defense, which Cash was the guy who was the chief of staff there. So he goes into it. Here. Blast that thing out. And... The president of the United States is the only one that can order a presidential transition through the GSA, the government service agency. In November, President Trump, if I have my timeline, that is either end of November, early December, but I think in November-ish. He said through the GSA, transition the United States government to the Biden presidency. The law and the DOJ regulations put me, the chief of staff of the Department of Defense in charge of the presidential transition. What did we do? We did the transition, not 10%, 50%, 100%, because the orders from the commander in chief were transition. And the DOD's no fail mission wasn't, oh, transition some of the stuff. And the Biden administration would leak and say, you're blocking access. You're not letting anyone do this. And mind you, in COVID, we put on the largest DOD transition in United States presidential history. So the guy who was the chief of staff for the DOD at the end of the Trump presidency actually followed through on Donald Trump's orders, the commander in chief to transition the department of defense, gigantic army, gigantic military to the Biden administration. Do you think that Donald Trump would turn over the greatest army, the greatest military to Joe Biden? If he were planning an insurrection no, that should, that should totally shut this down. And the other part of that was uh, the fact that um, Donald Trump authorized between 10 and 20,000 National Guard troops ahead of January 6th 
and uh, sent that authorization to both D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser and the Capitol Police Sergeant-at-Arms at the Capitol and Nancy Pelosi, and they all rejected it. They said, no, we don't need it. All of this is a gigantic waste of time. All of it. And we have to change something. And that changes Congress. We have to control the House. We have to control the Senate. And then we have to go as deep as we need to on investigating all of this. But start with the corrupt Biden crime family. All right, I'm uh, stepping aside for a second. When we get back, we'll have Jim Stovall in here. I need a little winner's wisdom, a little inspiration from our buddy Jim Stovall next on the Pure Opelka podcast. It's time for our visit with Jim Stovall, the man who um, is um, probably got a, a picture in some dictionary next to the word entrepreneur. Jim is a, a great example for anyone who wants to consider themselves an entrepreneur. He's a writer. He's a speaker. He's a, an inventor. He's a philanthropist. And he's the man behind the narrative television network that helps blind people like him enjoy movies and TV. And he spends time with us each week talking about his column that's syndicated all over the country, and it's on the Internet, called Winner's Wisdom. And I just feel so fortunate that uh, you're here, Jim. Thanks again for joining us. Well, it's great to be with you. And uh, this week's effort is entitled Controlling the Creep. Hey, and we're not hey, talking hey, about, wait we're not, a minute. Yeah, we're not talking about radio personalities here. <laughs> we, are, we are discussing, you know, this insidious thing, and it can be good or bad, but it, you know... That which can be imagined in one generation becomes possible in the next, and then it becomes a reality in the third. And, uh, and you know, the, the, the prisons are full of people today. They didn't wake up one morning and decide, you know, I think I'm going to commit a crime and end up in prison. It, it doesn't happen that way. It's a slippery slope, and it's not a 100% decision. It's 101% decisions that get us either good places or bad places in our life. Let's let's review the math on that because that's a really interesting thing. It's not a hundred percent decision; it's a hundred one percent decisions. Meaning, it's the little things that eventually add up and put you where you are. Oh, absolutely! You know, and this is one of the many challenges we have in Washington: is uh, you know the the uh, way people reject a notion is to say, "Well, that won't solve the whole problem." Well, there are very few things that will solve the whole problem. But can we solve half the problem with this and then look at some other things that will solve the problem? And those are the things that, uh, uh, you know, that, that make a difference for us. And, you know, everybody, uh, you know, wants to look at health and fitness and those things. You know, and it, it's, not, it's not you go out and you enjoy and you have a party over the 4th of July or you did whatever you did. No, it's not those things that get you. It's the day-in, day-out little things, and it's the creep that, that, that gets you in these things, good or bad. When I was an athlete in training, I always remember there was a guy I trained with, an older guy, and uh, you know, his coach would tell him, okay, 10 more reps. He would do the 10, and then, and then he would do one more. And I, I always I said, what are you doing that for? And he said, the 10 I owe him, the one more belongs to me. That's mine. And 
that's just showing that I'm going the extra mile. I'm doing the extra thing. I'm always going to get a little more, a little more. I'm going to take every edge I can. And I thought that is a powerful, powerful statement, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, and I tell the kids at the university where at the Stovall Center for Entrepreneurship, I always tell them, you know, hey, your reading assignment is, is, is 12 page. 12 pages. They will not lock you away if you read a couple more pages, <laughs> if you get ahead. They, they won't read, or if you read a couple other things that have something to do with the topic. Uh, you know, everybody you know, works hard to get a job or get into school or get into somewhere, and then they keep asking themselves, what's the least I can do and get away with it here? And that's just not the way to get where you want to be. Yeah, that's not the way to get to the top. And I love that idea of that one additional rep. And we often, yeah. uh, when we watch uh, sports competitions, when I watch them, I know you listen to them, uh, mm-hmm. when, we, when we monitor sports competitions, we're often hearing that the person who wins has that extra gear, that they can take it up a notch in the critical moment. And I think that comes from having the bank to all those extra reps that you can then kick it up, just reach back once more and get one more little push. And that oh, comes yeah. from doing the little stuff. It's the time. Oh, yeah. And, and the very best among us, too. My very first big interview on narrative television was with Catherine Hepburn. And I remember we did the interview, and she was so kind. And then a tough lady, but uh, she was kind. And, and I said, would you mind doing a station ID for us? And she said, what would be involved with that? And I said, look at that camera right there and say, this is Catherine Hepburn on the Narrative Television Network. And she did it, and I said, thank you very much. She said, no, 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 that, that will not do. Let's do that again. <laughs> I said, well, I think it was good enough. She said, it may be good enough for you, but uh, we'll stop when it's good enough for me. And she did it twice more, and then she said, that one will suffice. <laughs> and and she turned to my uh, producer and said, "You know which one?" He said, "Yes, ma'am. We know which one, and we will." Uh, and she just, you know, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And you know, whether you're trying to win an Academy Award for uh, on Golden Pond or you're doing a, a a station ID for a cable TV thing, I mean, it's just, you know, you're just going to do the best you can do. And uh, you know, otherwise, if you let if you let down here and you let down there, before you know, the creep takes over. The creep, and, and that's what we're talking about: controlling the creep. It's Jim Stovall, our buddy, author, speaker, entrepreneur, and we're not talking about controlling, as Jim said, radio talk show hosts. We're talking about controlling the creep in your life, and you can control good and bad, Jim. There's there's a, a benefit to putting controls on good actions, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, some of the most successful people I know have a routine, particularly a morning routine. And, uh, you know, I I have benefited greatly. I get up at the same time and I do my exercise and my meditation and go through my studies and the things I do. And it just it becomes a routine. You take control of it. Otherwise, you would never do it. But it just becomes normal. I mean, when it becomes like, uh, you know, putting on your socks or brushing your teeth, you know, all of a sudden success becomes a habit. And it's easy to follow because you don't even think about it. It, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm old enough to remember when uh, we started wearing seat belts. And before that, we would just uh, mom and dad would slam on the brakes and kids would fly around, and uh, that's the way we did things. And uh, but they, so we had to all remind one another to put on our seat belts. 
now you don't even think about it. You just you just do. And those are the powerful things that, you know, once you can you can take control and then reduce those things to habits it will it will take care of itself i mean then success becomes uh, just a normal natural progression but if you don't control those things the creep controls you and before you know it you know you're performing at a level that's uh, really really not where you should be yeah yeah and your your buddy your pal um dennis waitley uh, likes mm-hmm. to say that uh, winning is a habit and so is losing and if you fall into the habit of letting the creep take you down the path to losing uh, it's it's hard to break it. So the sooner you stop it, the sooner you try and pump the brakes on the creep in your life going the wrong direction, the sooner you'll get back into the habit of winning. Uh, I love this week's column, Jim, and I want everybody to um, join me in getting it. You just go to jimstovel.com and you fill out the form and it shows up in your mailbox and you'll have your own personal email from Jim Stovall with a little kick in the butt every week to get you on the path. Jim, oh, absolutely. Um, and when you think about controlling the creep, remember Michael Pelka. I didn't see that one coming, Jim. Well done, my friend. Very well done. 